you may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless. Uh, Today we are in part two of a talk, God Created Man. Uh, God Creates Man. We're looking at uh, the creation story. And we are in Genesis chapter two. If you need a Bible, the ushers will, will be happy to pass one out for you. Just raise your hand. You'll enjoy the study so much more with a Bible in your hand. JC brought me a glass of water. Apparently I sound raspy. Thank you, JC. Um, I lose my voice, not, not preaching sermons out in that courtyard, just talking. They're so, just, I mean, it's so noisy. We're yelling and talking, uh, uh, but I absolutely love it. Um, anyway, uh, part two in a talk, God creates man. Today we're looking at, uh, a little more detail of God's creation of man. We finished chapter one and we looked at all six days of creation and we've seen some incredible things as we're going through the book of Genesis. In chapter one, we learned that all creation came from God. God literally created time, space, and matter. This God who is outside of time, space, and matter spoke and the universe was formed. We talked about the Bible has the best cosmogony of any uh, creation uh, cosmogony. Uh, It's just because only the Bible deals with absolute origin of the universe. Everything starts out, everything else, every other cosmogony starts out with something, a gases forming or something. Well, where did the gases come from, right? And only the Bible starts with an absolute origin of the universe. This God who is outside of time, space, and matter spoke time, space, and matter into existence. It's hard for us to fathom a universe that isn't there, right? That's all we know. But there was a time when it wasn't, and God spoke it into existence. And then God created not only time, space, and matter, but all life that he put on this earth. And he did it all by the power of his word. Ten times this phrase was revealed to us in Genesis 1. Ten times, ten the number of law. Ten times this phrase, and God said... And all of creation obeyed God's voice. God said, light be, and light was. And all of creation springs into existence, obeying God's command. God spoke, and creation obeyed. As as is repeatedly demonstrated by the phrase, and it was so. God said, light be. And it was so. Uh, 
And so we see this, this marvelous work that, that, uh, that God did. We also saw that 10 times in chapter 1, this phrase, bara, uh, meaning to create out of nothing. It is a verb that belongs to God alone. It cannot be used for anyone else. Uh, we can make things out of things. Uh, that's a different Hebrew verb. That's a saw. We can make a shirt out of cotton. We take one, one material into another. That's a saw. Uh, the, the verb that uh, was used 10 times in Genesis 1, bara, God created out of nothing. And this beautiful universe that he has made, it is just stunning in its beauty. But we saw last week, we looked and we saw that man is the culmination of God's creation. Oh, how incredible. Think of who you are. You are the highest order of God's creation on the earth. You were the one that he had in mind when he spoke the universe into existence. The crescendo or the culmination of all of it was man. God's desire to be in fellowship with you. And this idea, this revelation of man being the crescendo, being the culmination of God's creation, was revealed in a couple of ways. Number one, only when God created man did he say, let us make man in our image. Nothing else received that honor. Imago Dei, in the image of God. And here, man and woman brought into existence by the creator, made in the image of God. And we see the worth that man has because only man in that image. Secondly, we see the worth that man has because God made man and he says, now I want you to have dominion over all that I have created. Everything I've created, I give to you. You are the ruler over all of it. Have dominion over all the earth. What an esteemed and high position God has given man. This gives man his worth and his value. And we looked two weeks ago, we saw uh, you were created by God and you were created what? For God. I'm so glad you remember. That blessed me. You were created by God and you were created what? for God and it is here that we find our worth it is here that we we realize this special privileged position that we have with our creator Genesis 2 then gives us some details about the six day creation uh, uh, specifically about the six day of creation that were not included in chapter 1 and this is a very typical way that God gives instruction or a very typical way that God uh, gives revelation or a very typical way that God will illustrate something. Jesus did it this way all the time. He would give the whole picture and then he would come back and give details of that picture. And that's what we have here on Genesis chapter 2. God is going to give us details about a specific event, about the creation of man that weren't given in chapter 1. 
It's because he wants you to know some things about how he created you. And so with that, let's jump in to chapter 2. Are you there? Give me a big amen if you are. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them. That means the host of the heavens, the universe, the stars, the moon, the sun, all the planets. uh, They were finished. Again, we see this amazing power of God, this omnipotent God who can speak universes into existence. In six literal days, they were created and finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and created. On the seventh day, from all the work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. A few things there that we uh, want to look at uh, on this seventh day. God could have just said, hey, six days of creation. We would have had a six-day week, right? Uh, But uh, he chooses the number of perfection, seven. So interesting uh, how things work, by the way, this number of perfection. Uh, How many continents do we have? Seven continents. How many uh, notes on a scale, music scale, do we have? Seven. Eighth is a new octave. It's a new scale. Seven, this number of complete. Seven days. We have a seven-day week. It's it just it's lasted since the beginning of time. We still have a seven-day week. Uh, he creates all of this in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Not because he was tired. Uh, God doesn't tire. Uh, Psalm 121, the God of Israel never slumbers, never sleeps. God wasn't tired. He was finished. He rested from his work, or he ceased his work. And here we see a very important principle. Look what he says here. Uh, Verse 2, one more time. God blessed the seventh day. And I want you to read these next two words. God blessed the seventh day and what? Sanctified it. Sanctified it? Yeah, you might want to underline those. What does it mean? It means he set that day apart as special. Good on you, by the way, being here today, a day set apart to worship the Lord, a day set apart to think about him, to ponder him, a day set apart for your family to be together. God took that seventh day and he sanctified it. And I love this about God. Look how amazing he is. God makes man on the sixth day. Could have made man any day, I assume. Makes man on the sixth day, and then he sanctifies the seventh day as a day of rest. So man's first day was a day of rest with God. I am sure Adam and Eve said, hey, lots to do. Big world to explore. We better get busy. And God said, no, 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 no. First things first, let's hang out together. First things first, I want you to know my great love for you. I want you to spend time with me. I want to be in fellowship with you. Oh, how amazing God is. And here we see how beautiful his design is. He uh, 
you know, has this day of rest for man as the very first thing, the very most important thing uh, that, that Adam does. Um, look at this also in verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Uh, because he, because, excuse me, because in it he rested from all his works, which God created and made. Uh, those two words, I want you to just draw your attention to. You might want to circle them. Created and made. It reveals to us more insight of what we've already studied in chapter 1. Created and made. Created bara out of nothing. Made a saw, fashioned and put together. And if you missed the previous weeks, we saw with exquisite detail how God did it. God spoke some things into existence, and then he, that's bara, created, and then he made things, he fashioned them, he formed them, and put them in order. He put the planets in order. He put the earth at its 23 and the third degree uh, axis so that we have our seasons and all this stuff that we looked at. That was he made, he saw, he took, took the things that he created and he fashioned it all. All of that happened in the six days of creation. Now, verse 4. We're going to see God now say, now, I want to talk to you about that sixth day. I want to remind you, I want to give you some details that you didn't know yet about what I did when I made man. Uh, and here we go, verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth. When they were created, there it is again, bara, in the day that the Lord God made, there it is again, created and made, the earth and the heavens. By the way, you might want to circle the words Lord God. Do you see it there? Lord God. Uh, the word Lord in your Bible, is it all capitals? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? That means something. Uh, it's not a typo. Uh, the translators are trying to tell you something. That word Lord, when it's all capital, is the tetragrammaton. The name of God that cannot be pronounced, Yahweh. It was sacred in the Jewish mind. It was the covenant name between God and his people. And this is the first usage of the word. First time it appears in the Bible. Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Elohim, the generic name for all people who just cry out, they don't know him. They just go, oh God, help me. That's Elohim, Yahweh, those who are in intimate relationship with him. Uh, and here it says, uh, in the day that Yahweh Elohim made the earth and the heavens. And he's giving us details about this creation. He says, before any plant of the field was on the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. We talked about uh, uh, when God made the atmosphere on day two, he created the rain cycle. We looked at that in depth, how amazing it is, the water cycle. Uh, it, it hadn't created that yet. Uh, God had not... Um, uh, had 
where did I leave off? Let's do verse 5 again. Before the plant of the field was in the earth, before the herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth, that's the water cycle that we talked about, and watered the whole face of the ground. I think a better translation would be, and the whole face of the earth was underwater. I think that's what he's trying to say. How many of you have heard and been taught, a lot of us have, and, and I'm not saying it's not possible, it's, I'm not dogmatic on this, but how many of you heard, heard and taught that um, it never rained until the flood? I've taught that before. Uh, uh, in further study, I am changing my position. I, I believe that may be wrong. I believe that what this is saying is not telling us that uh, rain happened uh, after the flood, or excuse me, at the flood, but he's just retelling what was happening. Notice again, verse 5 starts out, before any plant was on the ground, there was water on the whole face of the earth, uh, verse 6. Verse 7, now we get into why he's bringing us here. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Wow. Here we see that Adam gets some special attention from God. God could have just spoken Adam into existence, but God personally forms man. Handmade, if you will, by the creator himself. God looking at the, the formation of man and says, no, 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 I want to be intimately involved with this. He spoke the universe into existence, but he formed man by his own hand. If you look at verse 7, and God formed, uh, the Hebrew verb is yatsar, And it is a verb that is used very interestingly in Jeremiah 18, referring to, for you Bible scholars, you know this, the potter and the clay. God tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go to the Yatsur's house. And they translate the word right there, potter, same word. And the message to Jeremiah was this potter, he takes this clay and he puts it on the wheel and he forms it and he fashions it into something that he desires to make. And he says, can't I do the same with the house of Israel? This is God, his masterful hands molding and shaping and building and creating man. And he breathes into man, into his nostrils, the breath of life. And man becomes a living being. That word living being in the Hebrew is nefesh. And uh, nefesh is, here it's translated living being. But the way that it's translated most often in the English is soul. 475 times in the Bible, nefesh is translated soul. God made him from the dirt. He breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living soul. Wow, just incredible. Here we see how uh, 
details of, of this sixth day of creation, details of God making man. And oh, what do we see? What does God want us to know? Oh, I was personally involved when I formed and fashioned you. I was, I was you know, uh, I took you from the dust of the earth and I formed you into this creature that you are. And then I breathed into you the breath of life. And here we see scientifically the Bible once again goes out on a limb. Just like in Genesis 1 when it said that God set the moon and the stars and the sun, excuse me, the moon and the sun in its place to give us our seasons and our times. And we looked and scientifically, wow, does that really happen? Does the moon give us our seasons and our times? And what did we find out? Yeah, sure enough, the earth being set at its axis, the moon, large moon that it has, we went into that detail. It does that very thing. It gives us our seasons and our times. And in the same way, scientifically God goes out on a limb here he says man is made from the dirt of the ground well what do we find out when we look scientifically well guess what we find out guess what we're made of the dirt of the ground there are six core elements from the ground that make up 99% of your human body here they are these are the six major elements. Uh, oxygen, 61%, the most plentiful ingredient in soil. Uh, carbon, super plentiful in soil, 22% of you is carbon. Hydrogen, 10% of you is, is hydrogen. Nitrogen, 3.5%. I put some of that on my lawn recently. Uh, calcium, 1.5%. Phosphorus, 1.0%. Uh, some scientists have slightly different numbers on these, we, you know, uh, but they're all extremely close. Uh, uh, but here is uh, uh, the percentage. If you look at this man figure on the left, uh, you can see the breakup percentage-wise of what you are, your body is, and it's all from the soil. By the way, that doesn't mean your legs are 61% oxygen. Uh, that just means your body, your whole body, right? 99% uh, of us made from these six elements. Very interestingly, the 1% of you is quite complex. The 1% of you is made up of 17 trace elements. Once again, all of them found where? In the soil. Here's the other 1%. I'm not going to go into them in detail, but you can read them. Potassium, sulfur, sodium, chlorine, magnesium, iron, etc. Uh, you took vitamins this morning. You probably took some of these things. Uh, they are the, the trace elements of the soil. It's what you are made of. And here, the whole complexity, the major elements, 99% of you, these six elements, this is how God created you. Uh, just amazing to consider. The Bible, uh, once again, uh, God not meaning it to be a science book, but it definitely uh, aligns with science. I bring this out for a reason. I want us to see that man's value is not the physical materials that his body is made of. For we are just made from the dirt. God breathed into man, and man became a living being. We are not animals. No matter what the schools and the universities and the evolutionists want to tell you, 
You are unique in all, excuse me, in all of God's creation, and that only man was made a mago day in the image of God. And only man did God breathe into man, and he became a living being. And your value is not in the elements that you're made of. Your value it comes from the soul that God gave you. That is where our value is. Our real substance, our real value is not in our body, but in our soul. If you've ever lost a loved one, you know this. You've experienced this. I remember being at my mother's bedside as she was passing. And the one that I longed to talk to, the one that I wanted her just to have one more conversation, and she couldn't. She was passing. And I'm there, and I would do anything just to be with her a little bit longer. And she passes. And I remember the second that she passes, the moment that she passes, she's gone. And now her body there's just a difference. It's just a shell. It's just worthless. This one that I longed to be with was now just nothing. She was gone, and I knew it. My dad, when he passed, oh, how I would just, I just wanted to have one more conversation, and I saw the body, and he was gone. And it was worthless. Your value is your soul, not your body. The Bible says, Ecclesiastes 12, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The body will return to the dirt where it came from. And the spirit will return to God where it came from. God breathed the spirit into man. And that spirit will return to God. You are on a temporary assignment, my friend. You are here for a specific purpose. You are here to decide. Do you want to know your creator, the lover of your soul, the one who built you to be in fellowship with you, the one who designed you and fashioned you and gave you unique gifts and talents that you might ponder his greatness, that you might realize his love for you, and that you might be in awe of it and want to love him back in return. You are on a temporary assignment, and you will take your last breath here, and you will stand then before the Lord, your creator. In Luke 16, there's a verse Jesus said that just resonates through me. Jesus told a parable of a shrewd manager, and in that story, he says, give an account of your stewardship. You can no longer be steward. And I know the day is going to come when God is going to say to me, Dave, give an account of your stewardship. You can no longer be steward, and I'll be in his presence. I long for the day. Not because I'm such a good steward, but because he's such a good savior. Very thankful for him. <clears throat> it is important that we realize that our body is not where our worth is. 
So many of us are just so concerned about our bodies all the time. Uh, Where are you searching for your worth? Many boast of their abilities and boast of their accomplishments as if they did something in their own greatness. What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. Yeah, but I'm a great businessman. You don't know how much money I made. You don't know the deals I put together. You don't know how many people work for me. You don't know how big my company is. Who gave you that intellect? Who gave you that charisma? Who gave you that mind? Where are you getting your worth? These things are temporary, and I assure you, they will pass away. Get, tell me, tell me, who had the, big, the biggest business 50 years ago? I don't know either, because it matters about this much. It's nothing. It's nothing. Many boast of their abilities and their accomplishments. Others feel worthless about their abilities because they don't stand out. Oh, man, I just I wish I was, I just, I'm not any good. I just, oh, I'm so sad. I'm a... Can I tell you something? You are looking at the wrong things. Your worth, your value is not how pretty you are, is not how much money you have. It's not how much you've accomplished. Your worth and your value, what matters is your soul. Now, which one are you building? Which one are you building? Ultimately, if you are boasting in your abilities or if you are mourning over, oh, I'm just not, we're just so messed up. Hey, I... You know what happens when we when we when we go? Oh gosh, I just I'm not I'm not any good. I'm worthless. I'm just we get depressed. Leads to depression, right? You know why? Because you're worshiping the wrong thing. You're finding value in the wrong thing. You're finding worth in the wrong thing. Your body is not worth much. When you take all these six elements and then uh, the the the. the the other 17 trace elements that make up 1% of you, if you were to take them all together, all the, uh, the elements and take them together, uh, do you know how much they're worth? They're worth about $6. <laughs> all the elements in your body. But your soul is worth everything. Everything. This is why trying to find worth in yourself leads us to depression. Oh, I just wish I was better, and I'm not going to... And what happens? We go to our psychologist, and the psychologist says, you just need to love yourself. Can I tell you something? Wrong answer. Bogus answer. Now, there's a time for everything. I'm not against all psychology. Uh, I'm not saying that. But I, I, I would just say, you probably already do love yourself, and you're probably bummed out because you're not as great as you wish you were and as great as you think you should be. And focusing on that isn't going to help. It's only going to make you more depressed. What will help is focusing on your value and your worth. You were created to be in relationship with your creator. And there is value and worth found our purpose for existing is in a relationship with our creator and our worth and our value is found when we are in fellowship with God and Jesus was constantly repeatedly trying to get us to understand this truth 
Don't value the things of the flesh. Value the things of the spirit. Jesus would say things like, hey, don't even fear. Don't even worry about those who can kill your body but cannot touch your soul. Worry instead, fear instead, he who can put both your body and your soul in hell. Who's that, by the way? That's Jesus. As we stand before the judgment seat, Jesus, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, your body, yeah, I mean, it's good, it's important, sure, but it's not that important. Worry about your soul. Jesus would say it repeatedly over and over. If your right hand offends your soul, what should you do to it? Cut it off because your soul's way more important. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying cut your hand off. Here's what he's saying. Why are you so worried and encumbered? Why are you uncovering your soul with the things that your body wants? Far better to chop those things off that your soul might be happy, I mean, excuse me, healthy, because your soul is what matters. And a healthy soul is a happy soul, by the way. Your soul is what is worth so much. Shakespeare wrote amazing plays, did he not? Shakespeare wrote amazing poems, and when he wrote them, he used a pen and paper. But when he finished them, their value far transcended the worth of the ink and the paper. God formed you from the dust of the ground. Yes, you have a body, but he breathed into you a soul. He wrote a story. He fashioned a poem. You are his workmanship, and you are far more valuable than the dirt that you came from. And our schools are teaching our children, our, our universities are teaching our young adults, you are just an animal that evolved. You might as well gratify every desire you have because you're just an animal. Live for your flesh. And God would say, you couldn't be more wrong. You are a soul. You live in a body. And your worth is in your soul. Uh, God made man. He then breathed into him the breath, the breath of life. And here we see there is a clear distinction between the physical life and the spiritual life. And Jesus would repeatedly teach us that the spiritual life is far superior. Far superior to the physical life. Our purpose for existing is in a relationship with our creator, and that gives us great, great value. I want you to think about how brilliant Adam must have been. Many of us have this mindset that, uh, you know, there were cavemen, and, uh, you know, they were... Uh, uh, uh. We're still cavemen that go, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and yes, there were cavemen, but don't think that they were ignorant. I want you to know something. Adam was created brilliant. Brilliant. 
We looked at the second law of thermodynamics in week one of our study in creation, and we saw that everything is going from order to disorder. It's just one of the laws of the universe. We saw how the Bible teaches that very thing. Well, the same is true with our DNA. It is getting corrupted as time goes on. We actually are not evolving. We are actually, I don't know if it's a word, but devolving. Uh, Adam's DNA was perfect. Our DNA is not. I, my right eye is weaker than my left eye. Do you know why? Because my grandpa's right eye was weaker than his left eye. And my son Ryan has a weaker right eye than his left eye. Do you know why? Because he's my son and he got my DNA. I got this really weird thing right here in my elbow. If I go like this, it clicks. You can feel it. You can hear it. I'll show you after service. <laughs> you know what's really weird? My firstborn son, Jordan, guess what his right elbow does? Same side, same way, same spot. Mine clicks right there, and his does too. Why? Because that's in the DNA. There's entropy. It's breaking down. Now, amazingly, there's error-correcting code built into the DNA to fix these, uh, the entropy and the breakdown that happens, but nonetheless, it's, it's breaking down. Adam had perfect DNA. He was created as an adult, aged, full intellect, full set of teeth, muscles, pectorals like J.C. Cooper. <laughs> Not that I'm jealous. <laughs> he was brilliant. He was created a mago day, and he was created for the purpose of understanding, of knowing, of having a mind to be able to comprehend his creator. He was brilliant. And he walks with God in the cool of the day, and he learns God's ways. And oh, how amazing uh, how, how God does this, right? Uh, how keen Adam's physical and mental abilities must have been. Let's look on. Let's look at what this looked like. Uh, we left off in verse 7. We're going to skip verse 8 through verse 17. We're going to skip that, but I promise you we're going to go back and look at it verse by verse. Verse, uh, verse 8 through 17 is the Garden of Eden, and we're going to look at it in coming weeks. Uh, a fascinating story of what God designed in the Garden of Eden for man. I can't wait to go into it with you. But right now, I want to stay on this idea of God's relationship with man. And we'll look at the Garden of Eden. I promise we'll go through it verse by verse. We won't skip a verse. Uh, and uh, look at verse 18 for me right now. And the Lord God, there it is again, Yahweh Elohim said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. God made man. He fashioned him from the dirt of the ground. And he says here, I'm going to make a helper for him. What would you expect God to do next? What would you expect him to do? Make Eve, right? 
That's not what God does. His ways are most interesting. Look what he does. Verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever called each, excuse me, whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Uh, here, God does things most interestingly. Uh, and I find, uh, I, find I, just, I just love how God works. He brings all these animals before Adam. And here we see God's heart as a loving father. He brings the animals before Adam and he says, Oh, Adam, rule over them. Have dominion. I give you all authority. What do you want to call them? And Adam looks at these creatures that God brings before him. And he goes, oh my gosh, that's amazing, Lord. I'm going to call that a giraffe. Look at that long neck. That is hilarious. And he starts cracking up. I see what you did, Lord. He can eat those really tall trees up there. That, they are hilarious. I'll call those giraffe. And then he sees the dog. Oh, man, look at that thing. Look at that tail wagon. I'll call those dogs. And all they go before them. And, oh, here's what I see. I see a God standing there with the man that he has made in fellowship going, oh, my gosh, this is so great. God gives Adam the entire world. Have dominion over it. And it reminds me of these cherished memories that I have when my kids were little on Christmas morning. Lisa and I would buy all these presents, things that we knew our kids would love. Some things they wanted, some things they never even dreamed of, but we knew they would love them. And we brought them and we put them under the tree. And in the morning we said, here you go. It's all yours. Have dominion over it. It's yours. And the greatest joy was to watch my daughter rip open the package pull out that doll and then start playing kitchen and playing cooking and playing mom and playing all this stuff. And I just loved watching her wheels turn as she did all these things. I loved watching my sons rip open the package and uh, pull out the Legos and watch their wheels turn as they start putting together these beautiful things that they're making. I could see their imaginations growing. I loved buying dart guns and just shooting the snot out of my boys as we ran through the house going after each other and hiding and all the fun stuff. I love the Hot Wheels going down the stairs and the track and the loop and the jump and watching my boys just dream of what they could make with it. And this is what God is doing as he brings all the animals before Adam and says, Lord, Adam, here's all of it and it's yours. And he sits back and says, what are you going to do with what I gave you? I want you to know, church, God is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever. And God loves to bring good gifts to you and to be in fellowship with you and to say, here you go. Here's an amazing intellect. What are you going to do with it? Here you go. Here's a special someone in your life. I can't wait to see what you do with it. Here you go. Here's a brand new marriage. I can't wait to see what you do with it. Here you go. Here's a brand new house. I can't wait to see what you do with it. Here you go. Here's a brand new baby. I can't wait to see you not get any sleep. <laughs> what are you going to do with what I gave you? Oh, I just want to watch and watch your... I gave you the capacity to use all these great gifts. Here's charisma. What are you going to do with it? Here's an invitation to be a builder of my kingdom. What are you going to do with it? Here's an understanding of my love for you and what I did for you on the cross to purchase your salvation. What are you going to do with it? Here's a ministry. What are you going to do with it? And he wants to be in fellowship with this. He's there by Adam. He's watching Adam do all of it. He's oh, just in awe and just enjoying his creation. God wants fellowship with you. He loves watching your mind work as he brings you all these new things. Here's a new day. What are you going to do with it? Oh, are you going to go to your phone first? I was hoping you'd come to me. Are you going to spend time with me? Are you going to invite me into this? Or are you going to name all the animals without me even, even acknowledging all that I've given you? Uh, he brings it all before him. I find it amazing that God allows Adam to exercise the authority that God gave him to name all the animals, and he lets it stand. God never said, no, Adam, we're not calling it that. I'm sorry. That's a stupid name. <laughs> he gave him authority, and he lets him run with it as he will. And I can imagine God watching all of this just with great delight. Last week we saw in chapter 1 that God gives us a divine purpose in his kingdom by giving us dominion over the earth. We have a divine purpose in his kingdom. God wants to partner with us in that kingdom. And oh, the diversity of God in this kingdom. Think about it. God uh, brings all the animals before Adam. He names, oh, I'll call those giraffe. And then two butterflies float by. And Adam says, God, do they even know where they're going? <laughs> yeah, they know where they're going. I'll call those butterfly. Then two lions come by in all their fierceness. And God says, all, Adam says, I'll call those lions. And Adam says, Lord, they are fierce. No worries, Adam. I give you dominion over all of it. God wants us to have dominion over the easy things 
And God wants us also to have dominion over what? Over the hard things. What would you think of Adam if he had dominion over butterflies, but nothing else? I know what you'd think. You'd think, Adam, you're a wimp. Adam, you're a sissy. Adam, you're spineless. And you would have no respect. Adam says, Lord, that's a lion. It's fierce. God says, yes, Adam, but I'll give you wisdom to reign over it. I want you to know that God commands us to have dominion over the difficult matters in life, just as he does the easy matters. God wants you to have dominion over the difficult things. You see, when Adam has dominion, even over the lions, God is glorified. Adam's life reveals the glory of God. God has given you difficult things to have dominion over. Like what? Like your lust. We live in a day and age where we don't think we're supposed to have dominion over our lust. Well, I have these sexual desires. I was born that way. I get it. No problem. But you're supposed to have dominion over those things. Your lusts are not supposed to have dominion over you. You are to have dominion over your lust. And some of your lust might be aberrant because we have a sin nature. All of us deal with that. No one is immune. Instead, we now live in a society that says you have dominion over nothing. You're just an animal and your lust control you. Bogus thinking. No wonder we're bankrupt. You are meant to have dominion over the difficult things. Dominion over our marriage. Dominion over our children. Dominion over our finances. Dominion over our morality. Dominion over our earth. It is God's kingdom and he has given the dominion to us. In our laziness, we tend to shy away from having dominion over the difficult matters. We want dominion over the butterflies, but we don't want dominion over the difficult matters. We like talking about weather and sports and movies and pop culture, but we shy away from weightier matters of moral responsibility of personal responsibility, of sexual responsibility, of self-control, of the lordship of Jesus Christ, the weightier matters of the kingdom. We shy away from talking about the dangers of sin and God's wrath that is to come. There are absolute truths there are laws in the universe, and we better lead, we better have dominion in the right ways. God gave it to us. We can make a mess of it, or we can build it. We are managers of his kingdom. God created us to partner with us, excuse me, to partner with him as managers of his kingdom. And to that end, it begs the question, 
When did we become so afraid to stand for truth? What is wrong with us? When did we become so afraid? Why are we so afraid to say that a boy should not dress like a girl? Why are we afraid to say that? After first service, a woman comes. I'm a school teacher, junior high, special, special ed. And the teachers are giving the children different names. They're calling Christian Mary. I forget what name they gave her. Some, some other name gave him. Some other. They're changing all of our pronouns. They're making the kids do this. And these are special needs children. She says, will you pray for me? I know I need to stand. I'm afraid of getting fired. I got a bunch of people to pray for her, including myself. When did we become afraid to stand? The world is crazy. We're supposed to have dominion over it. When did we become afraid to stand against naked people at the beach? I want to go to the beach. It's getting to the point that I can't go to the beach. When did we become afraid to stand over nudity at the beach? It used to be called indecent exposure and you were cited for it. I haven't seen one of those tickets given out in a long time. Why? Because we became afraid to stand. When did we become afraid to say we don't want our schools teaching our young children about sodomy? When did we become afraid to stand that we don't want California to be a sanctuary state for abortion? When did we become afraid to stand and to have dominion over the kingdom that God gave us? Do you know Governor Newsom right now? We have a beautiful thing happening in our country. Our, our Supreme Court is, is very possible that Road v. Wade will be overturned. But Governor Newsom has already determined, is already putting a bill together that he wants, if that happens, California will be a sanctuary state for abortion. And anyone can get an abortion in California up until the ninth month and the last day. Not only that, Governor Newsom has some money. COVID has been really good to the state of California. There is a $31 billion surplus in the coffers in the state of California right now. The gas tax is really doing good and all the other taxes are doing really good. $31 billion, guess how he wants to spend it? He wants to pay for everyone's abortion in the entire nation. He will fly them out to California. He will give them lodging. He will pay for their meals and he will pay for their abortion. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, the bill is already in place. My question is, when did we become afraid to stand and to have dominion over the kingdom that God has given us. We are managers of his kingdom. Some things are difficult to rule over, but God commands us to have dominion over the lions, not just the butterflies. 
And what happens? Well, we come to God and we say, God, I don't know how to have dominion over a butterfly, excuse me, over a lion. I don't know how to do that. So we really look forward to walking with him in the cool of the day. Now, we actually come to church with our Bibles open because we need to learn how to have dominion over proverbial lions. Are you with me? And so then we come to church and we're actually looking to God for direction and God gives it to us as we walk with him. This is his desire. Hey, I've given you dominion over this. I can't wait to see how you use it. I don't know how to do that. No problem. I'll give you wisdom, discernment. I'll give you insight. This is why we open our Bibles. This is why we come to church. God speaks to us. He gives us direction and we then rule well over his kingdom and then our lives glorify God. This is the way he's designed it to be. My concern is that the nation is going in an incredibly wrong direction. And do you know why? It's not the government's fault. Not according to God. Do you know whose fault it is according to God? It is the church's fault. The book of Peter tells us it is time for judgment to come. And when judgment comes, it will begin in the house of the Lord. And if judgment begins in the house of the Lord, how then will the ungodly stand? What's that? What's he saying? He's saying, listen, this is the church's responsibility. How did the nation get this way? Here's how we got this way. Decades ago, we started doing seeker-friendly churches where we wouldn't talk about sin. We wouldn't stand for absolute truths. We wouldn't have dominion over the things that were right and wrong, that we were commanded to rule over. We just wanted to give a nice little encouraging, fluffy message to make everybody like it, to make nobody offended. And here's what's happened. We haven't been ruling over the kingdom. Jesus told a parable, a parable of the tares. There's a man, there's a farmer who planted good seed in his vineyard. And he goes out and he says, what happened to my vineyard? Where did all these weeds come from? He says, oh, well, in the middle of the night, an enemy came and scattered all these weeds in here. Well, where was the farmer? Why wasn't this being watched? And I'm not trying to give a heavy guilt trip. What I'm trying to do is inspire. Do you know what will happen? If, if we stand, if we seek God for wisdom, we can heal our land. If our churches will just go back to doing 45, 55, oh, heaven forbid, an hour Bible study. Heaven forbid. 
we would hear God's word, we would grow in wisdom, we would understand God's purpose, God's ways, God's calling on our life, and we would walk in it, and we would have a healthy land. If my people, which are called by my name, will simply humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, I will hear from heaven, God says, and I will heal their land. This is God's promise. The problem is the church. The problem is not the government. Uh, may we may we walk with wisdom. I uh, really rabbit trailed from my sermon. I apologize. Uh, we are running out of time. Um, how do I wrap us up now? Uh, uh, God is working. God is moving in Adam's life. He is bringing him a direction. He's bringing him to the creation of Eve. He brings, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. But before I do, I'm going to bring him all the animals. Why, God? Why? Why? Because I want to bring Adam to an understanding. I want to bring Adam into spiritual maturity. I want to bring Adam into wisdom. How does this passage end? Take a look at it with me. Uh, Verse 20, so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Verse 18 says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. And God brings animals in front of Adam, has them name them all, so that Adam comes to the same understanding that God already had. It's not good that man should be alone. He needs a helper. God brings the giraffe by Adam, and Adam cracks up and says, I'll call those giraffe. But he notices something. He looks at the giraffe, and he sees two of them. And he looks at himself, and he looks at the giraffe, and he says, I'll call those giraffe. And on and on this goes, and Adam sees there's a male and female in every animal that God brings by him. And at the end of it all, he realizes what God already knew. It's not good that man should be alone. And now Adam is ready to receive what God has for him, the making of Eve. By the way, this is God's way. Did you catch it? Did you see it? God wanted Adam to understand what truth? It's not good that what? man should be alone. And what did God do? God orchestrated life to bring Adam to that same understanding. Do you understand? He brought all the animals. He says, each one has a counterpart. Each one has a, a, an equal. I don't. And God used orchestrated life to bring Adam to the same understanding that God already has. And that is called spiritual maturity. Uh, this is what God does. And next week, we'll look at the creation of Eve. I thought we'd get there today, but I messed up. Uh, <laughs> next week, we'll look at the creation of Eve, a fascinating story of God's weird and unusual ways. He does something so bizarre when he creates Eve, and I can't wait to study it with you. Will you stand with me?
You are of incredible worth to your creator. You have a soul made in the image of God. That is your value. And you have been called to be a builder of the kingdom. May you be found faithful. God will walk with you, give you all the wisdom you need. May we stand for what is right. May we build with wisdom. And as we rule over lions, may we watch God grow us and stretch us and raise us up to be men and women who glorify our creator. May the Lord richly bless you. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.